1: Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It's another episode of Simply Amazing. I'm Tim Ryder from the Apple. Uh, Taryn Sharma, of course, is with us. And we have a special guest to open the show. Um, Of course, if you're like me, anything... Labor relations, baseball, or otherwise, comes up. This is my my go to to get filled in on the details. Uh, Eugene Friedman, who is of course a labor lawyer, a baseball writer, and noted gangster enthusiast, but that's for another podcast. Uh, Eugene, Thank thanks you. so much for joining us, and um, quite an exciting day. Thanks, Tim, and uh,
2: I'm glad to be with you.
1: Uh, quite the exciting uh, exciting news we woke up to on Monday.
2: Yes, uh, absolutely. So, um, you know, overnight uh, ESPN and, uh, and the Athletic uh, soon after reported uh, that the Major League Baseball Players Association are uh, in the midst of collecting authorization cards uh, to uh, have a showing of interest so that they can represent minor league players um, as their uh, collective bargaining agent. Um, and, uh, you know, this will be a big undertaking. Uh, obviously, there are a lot more minor leaguers than there are major leaguers, uh, and they're spread out across the country.
1: Now, this seems like it's, I guess it's in the best interests, of course, uh, of the minor leaguers. You know, they've been uh, toiling uh, underpaid, terrible conditions. I mean, we could spend an hour on that alone. Um but it seems like it's in the best interests of, of both sides. What, what if any, I guess, are the potential pitfalls um, that I guess this process might uh, result in?
2: Well, I mean, there, there are a couple things. I mean, for the most part, uh, employers uh, try to delay and undermine union organizing campaigns. Uh, they will frequently, um, you know, file uh, briefs, basically saying that the petition for bargaining unit with the NLRB is not the appropriate unit uh, that then requires a hearing uh, and a regional director's decision uh, before they can, um, before they can move forward with an election. So that, you know, slows the process down. Um, and, you know, Major League Baseball is not a friend to labor. Um, And so I think, you know, from that perspective, you know, I I would expect them to, if not engage in an, you know, an outward anti-union campaign like the one we saw in Bessemer, Alabama by Amazon, but, uh, you know, probably... You know, some kind of campaign to directly to the workers uh, or in this case, the players, uh, as well as um, in the media saying how they don't need union representation. They're well uh, taken care of. uh, And, and, you know, they're they're doing really well the way things are, (laughs) (laughs) which, of course, couldn't be much further from the truth. Right, right. And, you know, a lot of employers will also say, you know, as soon as you start paying union dues, you might not get anything for it. You're just paying a tax to the union, which, of course, you know, these players more than any uh, other employees should see. Look what the union <laughs> done for um, the the major league players. Um, you know, they'll obviously do great things for for minor league players, too.
0: Uh Eugene, um, can you talk us through the process a little bit? Um, so, so far the major league baseball players association has presented minor leaguers with these authorization cards, right? Um, what kind of information are they looking for on those authorization cards? And what kind of, uh, numbers do they need to move to the next step? And what is the next step?
2: so uh authorization cards are are basically just saying i would like a a vote in a union election i want this union specifically the major league baseball players association to be my authorized collective bargaining agent now the the cards themselves um are held close by the union Um, With the National Labor Relations Board, under the National Labor Relations Act, the union must, uh, before it petitions for an election, they must have a 30% showing of interest in an appropriate bargaining unit. It doesn't have to be the perfect bargaining unit, but it has to be an appropriate unit. Uh, In this case, I think the Players Association is going to petition for all minor leaguers who are not otherwise covered by the major league, uh, CBA, uh, which covers players on the 40 man roster. So 26 players in the majors and then 14 players in the minors, um, give or take, because, you know, you also have IL players, uh, if they're on the shorter than 60 day IL are they're, they're on the 40 uh, man roster. So, you know, once they have that 30%, the union can petition for an election. But they're going to want more than 30 percent. You know, most unions look for 60, 70, even 75 percent before they petition for an election. And the reason is twofold. One, they can ask for or or request voluntary recognition from the employer. Uh, Employers seldom give voluntary recognition Uh, but in in some recent cases with newspapers uh, or or other uh, more online publications there has been some voluntary recognition of unions which which uh, you know builds uh the the trust between the parties faster i mean if the union comes in and says look we have 95 percent of the employees who want to join this union the employer is going to look at its uh, attorneys and say should we fight this? And the attorneys are going to say, well, it'll make us rich, but you're still going to lose the election. (laughs) Um, And, you know, I think the players association here is going to look for one of those high threshold numbers so that they can um, go to major league baseball and say, you should recognize us. We don't need to have an NLRB election. Uh, But if management refuses or if, you know, they barely get over 50% and management thinks, you know, they, they can prevail uh, by waging an anti-union campaign in the election process, then it would go to the National Labor Relations Board for an election. Some employers, and I actually expect this from Major League Baseball, will say things like, well, we believe the employees have a right to vote, the the card just says they want an election. It doesn't mean they want the union. We want them to have a free choice and a vote. So they'll force the administrative process to go forward. And I, I expect the commissioner, uh, given his history uh, and his personality, uh, to, to do that. Um, and so, the, what the board does is, uh, you know, first it, it sends to uh, both parties a notice saying, you know, this is the petition for a bargaining unit. Um, are there any challenges to the unit? Um, if not, we will schedule an election by this date. Um, and frequently, what happens is the the employer will challenge something. Uh, in this case, uh, well, and and just to be clear, the standard for challenging. Um, what is a presumptively uh, appropriate unit is you've included people who should not be included in the bargaining unit. So you've included managers, you've included supervisors, you've included uh, HR confidential staff, um, or um, you know, you've know you encroached on another group that doesn't have the same shared community of interest. Uh, in this case, I think the community of interest standard uh, the working conditions are pretty well shared across all levels of the minor leagues. Uh, there might be some argument that could be made over, um, you know, rookie ball because they play a shortened season. They're usually in uh, a particular area of the country, so they don't travel the same way uh, that that they do in low A through triple A. Uh, so it, it's conceivable that you know, uh, the regional director of of the National Labor Relations Board might agree with an argument uh, that rookie ball doesn't fall under the same community of interest as the rest of the minor leagues. But I think you know, if they do petition for for what you know we call a wall to wall unit, meaning all uh, employees in the minor leagues. Um, I think that that presumptively would be an appropriate bargaining unit. And, uh, no. and then I, I know I've, I've said a lot already, <laughs> but if there's no challenge or if there's a challenge that's resolved by the regional director, then they will send out ballots. Uh, they, they can do mail ballots. They can do electronic ballots. They can do a, a, a mix. Um, it depends on, on the regional director um, and, and then, you know, they will count the votes. Um, And, you know, if they do in-person balloting, which would be very rare in this day and age for such a uh, wide, widely spread out bargaining unit, um, I think, you know, you'll have you'll have this mail ballot or electronic ballot system. Uh, It'll probably be a 30 day window to return the ballots. Then they'll count. Then they'll announce it. Then they'll certify the results. Um, and, and ultimately there will be a new bargaining agent, um, and union representing those employees.
0: And, and so, uh, how long do you expect the entire process from, uh, this initial vote to ultimate certification to, to take?
2: Well, you know, it varies, um, Quite a bit. Um, I think it depends how quickly they can gather the cards, uh, the authorization cards. If they can do that pretty quickly um, and they get above the 50% threshold quickly, they may file and keep collecting cards uh, while it's weaving its way through the administrative process. But the NLRB uh, has been expediting these things. Uh, my union has done a few elections with the NLRB in, in recent years. It generally takes from the first conference call uh, to the certification of the election results about three months. Um, so I would say you know depending on how long it, the cards collection takes it could be uh, four months could be six months okay. With
1: the you know you have to assume that having one of the most powerful, unions in america potentially bargaining and negotiating for minor leaguers um is going to be huge as far as the gains that are possible i know we had spoken a little bit on monday morning just about you know potential framework for this and you 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 made a, a very very good comparison to just your regular you know apprentice journeyman type of union, I guess, process. Um, kind of linking in what you were saying earlier about the rookie leagues and, I guess, what levels might be more applicable to certain coverages. Um, do you think this is going to be uh, – you know, you, we all saw how the, how the lockout kind of transpired and their, their court of public opinion. Is this – more or less of a cut cut and dry situation where could this get just as ugly as say the lockout did?
2: I think it could. Uh, Generally the first contract is the hardest contract Mm -hmm. uh, because you're starting from nothing. Um, You're starting from basically management's unilateral rights to do anything they want at any time, as long as it uh, isn't a violation of discrimination laws. Right. Um, So, anything they do is is going to be out of whole cloth now they're going to do a lot of pattern bargaining they're probably going to look at um you know some of the the smaller sports leagues that that pay uh lower amounts uh perhaps uh the women's soccer uh, players association uh you know m- even major league soccer players association uh those those unions are relatively new Uh, They've recently negotiated um, contracts. And so, you know, those will be templates from the perspective of looking at comparable pay, perhaps. Um, But but also, you know, you have you have a host of of issues here to work through. Um, You know, the advocates for minor league players have been talking for a long time about housing um, and whether that housing is some kind of stipend. Uh, or, um, you know, basically community employer-owned housing, uh, you're going to have to create standards for that. Uh, It's going to be a long negotiation because those type of things really will be new. Um, And then, you know, they're going to bring a lot of templates over like the grievance process, uh, like, you know, just run-of-the-mill work rules uh, per diem, for example. They'll bring that over. Uh, entirely and from the major league baseball contract and then probably just plug in different numbers. Um, You know, the, the difficulty of course is um, you know, if you're looking at it from management's perspective, you know, they would feed some of their favorite media talking heads uh, you know, this is millionaires versus billionaires. You can't say that with minor league players. I mean, minor league players, some of them in, in rookie ball make maybe $4,000 for their short season. Um, and even in AAA, if you're not on the 40-man roster, you're making maybe $30,000 for that, you know, six months, including spring training. So it's not millionaires versus billionaires. It's young guys trying to move up the ladder really not making any money at all. And, you know, they've got to live the rest of the year on that salary. So, you know, that media talking point is gone from management's perspective. So I think the public, uh, even though they won't know the players, the faces of the players won't be, uh, you know, the same. I, I think the the fans will be even more on the side of the players than they were during the last series of of negotiations uh, in the lockout.
1: You know, I, and I'm thinking like me, I'm I'm you know I'm hoping that Major League Baseball will kind of realize that you know if they thought that public opinion was was or, or approval rating was bad during the lockout. If they take a hard stance here, it's just it. It seems <laughs> like a misstep. It's just such a nuanced situation where you have the potential for these these ballplayers to go on to extremely lucrative, successful careers. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, I think there's a lot of potential for for headbutting, but um, you know, ultimately, you know. It just doesn't, It doesn't feel like there are. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah.
2: yeah, There, there are some, you know, downsides for the players here though, in terms of the, the bargaining because you know, the, the major league players um, obviously have something to fall back on if they're locked out uh, if they go on strike Uh, now, 40% of them make the league minimum. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, they would need assistance from the union more likely than not. Um, But a lot of the players wouldn't need assistance. All of these players, if there's a strike or a lockout, would need assistance from the union, financial assistance, uh, just to make ends meet. Uh, The other thing is that these players, for the most part, are probably viewed as replaceable. Um, Whereas, you know, Francisco Lindor, Scherzer, um uh, some of the other players who were on the the contract negotiating team for the players association, they were the stars of the game. They're not replaceable at all. Nobody's going to nobody in management is going to say, "Oh, we don't we we don't need you." But they may say that about 90% of the minor leaguers. I mean, you got your first round draft picks that have already received their bonuses, you know, so the teams have made investments in them. Some of the second round you know, have have gotten pretty sizable bonuses. Some of the international players have gotten sizable bonuses. Everybody else, they see them as, you know, if they lose them, they lose them. No big deal. They haven't invested anything in them. Um, And, you know, so that's a lever of power that that the minor leaguers don't have as compared to uh, major leaguers. (laughs) So I guess nuanced would probably be an understatement here. Yeah. I mean, all of this is very, uh, complicated and nuanced. Um, and it, you know, a lot of it is behind the scenes, uh, power structure, uh, pushing and pulling on, on the other party. So, you know, there, there's a lot that goes into that. Um, and, you know, even, even for someone who, who has been through, uh, you know, 10 or more contract negotiations, um, you know, from the outside, I can't see all the levers the parties are using against each other. I can only uh, guess. Right. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I, I can't even imagine how this is all going to
1: develop. But, yeah, I think it's, uh, it's safe to say, you know, these minor leaguers have a an extraordinarily large portion of baseball fans in their corner. And uh, listeners stay in that corner no matter what you hear, because as Eugene noted earlier, there will be some uh, some winds blowing from other directions. So, you know, uh, we we'll, we will keep everybody abreast as as this all develops. Eugene, I can't thank you enough for coming in and and kind of filling us in on this because uh, you know, again, you're you're my go-to for these types of situations on Twitter.
2: Absolutely, and thanks for the invite, guys. Oh, of course. And everybody, please be
1: sure to check out Eugene on Twitter. It's at Eugene Friedman, F-R-E-E-D-M-A-N. Taryn, you ready to come back? We'll talk a little messies and such.
0: Absolutely. Thanks, Eugene. Take care.
1: All right, everybody, hang tight. We're going to hear from our sponsors. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody, welcome back once again. Uh, Again, huge thanks to Eugene for coming on in the first half and breaking down all the X's and O's of that. Um, on to our Metsies. Taryn, I I I I find it very hard to join the um the bandwagon of fans who are concerned about this recent lack of productivity, for some reason concerned about only taking three or four from the Rockies. Um, you know, I think I don't think there's any question the Mets offense is a little funk right now, but are you are you ready to 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 you know start uh start you know selling your postseason tickets per se?
0: Um, <laughs> no. Uh, well, the Mets have what eighty one, eighty two wins, something like that. I, it's not even September yet. I, I think it. If you live and die by every pitch. I think it's a little bit difficult to be like, Oh yeah, this is baseball, like there's ups and downs. I mean, most of the teams, right. Are going to lose <laughs> uh 70 something times, e- even if they're good. So, um, yeah, I think that this is a great team and they won the series. And if you looked on Twitter, you would think that they were on like a, they had lost like six out of 10. Um, you know that going into the series against the Mets, the Yankees had not been playing well, right, and if you looked at Mets Twitter sometimes you would think that that it was flip flop that the Mets were playing, how the Yankees had been playing do <laughs> you imagine what would have happened if we split with the with the athletics like it's baseball, teams can be good and they can still lose games, they can have a bad couple of weeks. It happens. I think everything is so magnified right now because of how Atlanta has been playing. I mean, they finally lost a series uh, this weekend um, and that that was helpful to the Mets. So it's three games. We've got a month of baseball to play both of the teams, the Mets and the Braves have like pretty um, uh, schedules that are pretty heavy on second-class teams, I would say second division teams. So um, yeah, it's going to be about who, who takes care of business in those lesser games um, but before we get there, the Mets have a big series coming up with, um, you know, a team that they hope to to play deep in deep in October.
1: Oh, my goodness. This Dodgers series is going to be incredible. And 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 it's, you know, I don't think it's you can't say it's ideal that the Mets are, quote unquote, backing into this series. Um, much has been said about Francisco Lindor's little slump and and. I find it very hard to to put any water into that bucket. You know what? I mean, after uh, he started off the season on a, on an incredible tear, broke his finger, um, even at the apple. I went on the apple and said, you know, at the very least, the Mets just need consistency because he's the type of player who could bring everything together. H- and pretty much since that article came out, this is not – I have no, no part in it, I swear. Um, <laughs> he's been that guy. And, and, you know, this little slump that he's in now, I think it's one for 21. Like, it's a bad week. That's it. There are other guys who were who had really tough weeks. Vogelback went one for 14. Naquin went two for 10. Even Starling Marte, who's been red hot, went four for 20. And he's still got like a 150-something weighted runs created plus since the start of the Atlanta series. There's enough talent here to carry the weight when – a Francisco Lindor or Pete Alonso slows down. And you've got to think that heading into a series like L.A. with, you know, I guess everyone was talking on Sunday night throughout that whole St. Louis Atlanta series about the postseason feelings, like it felt like a postseason game. That's pretty much what the Mets are heading into on Tuesday night. And, um, you know, they're not going to have their their frontline starters out there. They have a slumping offense, but it's kind of it's in these spots that you know you're up against the wall and and maybe you come with a little bit sharper game and i think that francisco lindor and pete alonzo are going to be the ones leading that charge as opposed to you know sulking oh we're we're really not hitting well right now no i don't think this is the team that's gonna buy into that
0: no and they haven't all year right they've always bounced back listen bad luck is gonna happen um good luck is gonna happen right but uh, yeah, that was that was just a, a tough game. Um, Mets didn't create enough opportunities, and this offense is not driven by the long ball. So I think the guys who they brought in to hit more home runs, hit for more power. When they're not doing that, I think that also makes it more clear when a guy like Lindor is is dipping a little bit. Um, But yeah, I'm really excited for this series. I think, you know, the Mets played very well when they went to L.A. earlier this year. Uh, That was during a really difficult road trip. Ended up getting the split. Got a really good outing out of Trevor Williams in that game. That was the Adonis-Medina game. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel compelled to, like, bring that up because uh, this season, you know, it, it feels on one hand that it's gone very quickly, but you look back and there's so many good moments Um, and, and so I'm really excited to see how they match up again. We've talked about it all year. It's like another little test and, and we will have three really good starters. So yeah, Walker, uh, Jacob deGrom in the second game, and then, uh, Chris Bassett in the, uh, in the last game on Thursday, which is
1: the benefits of breaking up the ages are being revealed already.
0: That's right. Yeah. And so, um, I'm excited to see how they do. LA is a tough team. They have. Probably the biggest Met killer of them all in Freddie Freeman. So,
1: oh, dude, um, Mookie, the series Mookie had in Miami, which I had no idea they were playing again on Monday. Um, he hit four home runs in from Friday through Sunday, just tanking balls, tanking them. Uh, you know, Mookie one of my favorite players in baseball, and I think he goes under the radar with, you know, just how elite of a ball player he is. You know, if Mike Trout wasn't around, I think Mookie would. Be in the conversation for greatest player of his generation.
0: He's yeah, so I mean, good. Oh, he had that one year right where he was worth so many wins. Um, that I think it was his MVP year. Was, that was
1: 2018 when the Red Sox won?
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, was
1: that 2018? No. Yeah, I think so. No, 2018. Yeah, 2017 was the Astros.
0: Yeah, I think it was 18.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh right 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 yeah. But he yeah,
0: an, an it's, it's hard players. to
1: imagine the Dodgers having such trouble in the postseason. They've kind of pulled out all the stops to to change that. Ah, anyway, I'm sorry. Go on about Mookie.
0: <laughs> oh no, yeah, he's just he's a great player, and I love athletic outfielders. That's my favorite type of baseball player. So, um, yeah, I, I love watching him play, and I wish he wasn't on the Dodgers, but yeah, he's a he's a great player. Um,
1: you were a Mike Cameron fan, Taryn.
0: Yeah, well, him, Kenny Lofton. Yes. Really like Kenny Lofton.
1: Shout out to Jolly Olive over at Shea Station. He's one of the biggest Kenny Lofton fans I know. Nice. <laughs> Dude, I went to – all right, so my buddy is a big Yankees fan. In two thousand, the summer of 2004, it was his 21st birthday, we went to Yankee Stadium. The Yankees were down 2-0 in the bottom of the ninth, and Kenny Lofton and Hideki Matsui, I believe – hit back-to-back home runs with two outs to tie it. The game went to, like, the 16th inning or the 15th inning. And the Padres scored four in the top half. The Yankees came back and scored five or six. Uh, I guess five. What, I, I don't know if the Padres scored five, the Yankees scored six. It's a very long time ago. And, again, it was my friend's 21st birthday. So, um, But, yeah, one of the best games I've ever been to. But Kenny Lofton right in the middle of it, man.
0: Yeah. He's a a great player. And, um, I I think the Mets have a lot of great players too. Right. So, uh, yeah, I, you're talking about October. This is, this is a nice little preview. I, I think with Gonsolin not being available for the, uh, Dodgers, he'll probably be back. I would imagine by playoff time. So, um, they're down one of their stars this year, but, uh, I think May is back, right? For them. And he's,
1: he's um, disgusting. I don't even I don't know if they're gonna see him this week. I don't know what the Dodgers they're all yeah. TBD on MLB yeah. and, and I just got out of work. I haven't even looked at fangrafts. Um is he slated? Hold on. You know what? I can pull it up right now. Cause he's so nasty. Oh my god, the two seamer, the slider, oh disgusting. Dodgers, fan
2: graphs, tips.
0: Yeah. Uh fantasy pros says that it would be Heaney. Anderson and then May in that last game. So it'd be May against Bassett, Anderson against DeGrom, and then Heaney against Taiwan Walker in this first game.
1: Oh, Heaney's in the game in Oh, in the first game. Okay, okay. Yeah. Uh Haney? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um really upgraded his stuff. Is that with the Yankees? No. Yeah, Yankees last year. He was he was in the Bronx last year, I think. And really uh Something clicked for him between L.A., New York, and now back, you know, other side of L.A. Uh, yeah, fun player. I, I We can't finish. We have to talk about Old Timers Day. Um, mm-hmm. That was just – could the Mets have done it any better?
0: No, I, and I think, you know, we should talk about how great uh, Steve Cohen has been for this franchise because, you know, the Mets all my life, for the most part, They've been more or less a laughing stock, the Lowell Mets, and and all of that stuff. Um, Cohen has found a way to not only make the the organization respectable, but to celebrate all the different eras. and And one thing that's really great about the Mets and their history is that it's a little quirky. Um, you know, you have these two like shining moments, really, in '69 and '86 and uh and then just tons of characters uh all around everywhere else and um with the uh the various things that he's done i I thought was was awesome and then willie mays i obviously never got to see him play but i've read a lot about him and and watched old highlights and stuff like that and um i always liked that you know i worked for the giants and he he had obviously made his mark there and then i Grew up a big Mets fan, and he played there also. And they probably should have won that World Series in 73. So knowing the story of, of uh, Ms. Payson and uh, wanting to retire his number, I thought that, that was really special and uh, a really good moment for the Mets. And, and, yeah, it was so cool to see all of those guys out there. And I think they had a blast. And I think that they're feeling respected by the organization, which is really good um, for long-term. The only guy that wasn't there really that I like really wanted to see was David Wright, but I guess, you know, he's not even 40 yet. So maybe to <laughs> would be an old timer.
1: Uh, Johan not being there was a little disappointing. Um, and I think would have got a very nice reception, but I mean, it was like, it was equal parts outpouring of love from the fans and from the players you know reciprocated back towards the fans it's just such a just a beautiful scene i wasn't even there i was home i was watching from home man like it was awesome just so cool to see like you felt that energy it was palpable um and and you know being (laughs) my father's family so my grandfather my father's older brothers which you know, some of them were many, he was born in 56 and some of them were much older than him. You know, they were all giants fans growing up. Um, Mm -hmm. Willie Mays is a revered name in my family, in my house. You know, that's the upper echelon of baseball. That's, that's the man right there. As as far as I'm concerned, it's the greatest ball player to ever live. Yeah. But but that's, again, (laughs) it might be a biased opinion. Um, Having, and again, Miss, Joan Whitney Payson, who was co-founder of the Mets, original owner of the Mets, loved the Mets. I mean, I I still it's it's active. I don't use it, (laughs) but I still have a Twitter account called the Payson Society. Like that was an idea. I'm like, oh, we're going to do this, and this is of course when the Wilpons still own the team, own the team. But you know, it was a what, what would Joan do type of type of pitch to people, and I think that this current. Mets ownership, Steve Cohen, the Cohen family, everyone who's a decision maker on and off the field, I don't want to say that they're embracing what would Joan do, but the parallels between what Miss Payson would have done or did do or tried to do when she was at the helm and what this current ownership are doing are extremely close. Like The passion and the love of not just New York baseball, but baseball in general. It's, it, it wasn't about the money to Payson, and it's not about the money to Cohen. She was there to win a World Series. Cohen is here to do the same, and, and that's their number one priority. And, and I think that Sunday, uh, Saturday was just a – it was an accent, Mark, on that entire vibe, that entire point of view. The, the whole commitment to winning that we really haven't even begun to see yet, that's the – I think that's what's being painted. That's what that's what the painting's being brushed with is that commitment. And that's the whole scope of everything. It's just, uh, you know, on the field, it's a very exciting time to be a Mets fan. Now off the field, you know, that was just – it was special. I checked in on my mom, who wasn't around Saturday. She watched it. She DVR'd it, watched it Sunday. And I caught her during the mace thing and she's crying. Like just hi mom, by the way, (laughs) Um, just, you know, it's what being a Mets fan is all about. I put the picture up on Twitter and I hope that man isn't upset that his face was plastered all over social media, but I figured S N Y caught him. He's already half in the bag, right? Yeah. You know, he's very, very emotional during the Mays thing. And I think all of us who have a family member who or a friend or whatever who, who was around during that era and we know that they were right there with him. I mean, my father passed away in twenty fifteen. And again, huge Willie Mays fan. When he came to the Mets, it was a cause for celebration. It was just it was beautiful. And uh yeah, you know. I think that struck a chord with on so many different levels with so many people. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to ramble on, but I'm oh, still kind of in awe what I saw this weekend. It was so cool.
0: That's great. And I, I think that's the, that's the goal of doing stuff like this. And I think Buck pointed out in the postgame, the reason why most more teams don't do this is because the owners don't want to pay for these things. And he said, you know, believe me, this wasn't free. And um, I heard
1: that Cohen picked up airfare and hotel for everybody in their families.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, uh, that's, that's just a a special thing. It's a, it's a good thing to, um, I'm just very grateful that he owns the team now. Um, and you know what? We deserve it after (laughs) (laughs) the ownership that we've been through. Well, you know, (sighs)
1: I think it's all about priorities. And I'm not going to sit here. If we were going to rag on the ponds, we could probably tack an hour onto this episode. We're not going to do that. We spent like, you know, a decade doing it. Um, The progress that's been made in such a short time is remarkable. But Mm -hmm. coming from where we were, it just means that much more, I think. At least for me. You know, we've seen the depths like the, the 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 seller of being a base of being a baseball fan, diehard baseball fan. You know, live and die like to 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 bring it full circle. Those fans who live and die with every pitch, you know, I, I don't knock them. I've anything I tip my cap to them because rooting for it seemed like the Mets to put mm-hmm. yourself through that. <laughs> oh gosh. I did that for a long time and and, and you know there were a couple of big losses and collapses over the years. And I said, I'm not going to let myself uh, let my life be affected by a sports team. And I've done a pretty good job of, of doing that. Maybe it came with age, but uh, boy, what a, um, just what a, a different time. And I think everyone's kind of just catching up. It's, it's, it's fun.
0: Yeah. Uh, and you know, that's not to say that people that watch the way that we do, I think we're very, plugged in to the team and the day to day.
1: Oh, no one's wrong. Yeah, no one's wrong in this city. Yeah. Everybody fan how you want to fan. I said it on Twitter. Don't let anybody tell you how to fan. However you enjoy this game, that's that's the way.
0: Yeah. But, you know, also if you are that type of person and you choose to put negativity out there constantly and and you say stuff like this is the worst trade deadline that any team has ever had in any sport, like something (laughs) ridiculous like that, you know, maybe understand that people are going to push back on that. So um, we, we love this team and we watch and, uh, and, and we feel bad when they lose, but, Um, no one loss or one week or even a couple weeks is the end of the world. So uh,
1: a loss, a season,
0: a season is not the
1: end of the world because you know what, there's another one coming in a few months and that's always going to be there. It's, It's the beauty of this game. Not only do you get a game a day for like six months when it's over, win or lose at the end of the year, it all starts again in a few months. It's just, it's it's the perfect game for me, and I'm sure you feel the same. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, boy. Hope spring and eternal. Hope being, you know, extinguished by May. How many seasons have we, we been down that road where, uh, and, and maybe, oh, maybe they drag you on through August and then, you know, cut you loose. Maybe they bring you up to the last couple of weeks or, you know, in a couple of years cases to the last week. You know the ratio of how many times it's worked to how many times it hasn't worked out is, uh, you know, we have scar tissue as Mets fans. And I guess my only advice, and don't take my advice. I'm just an idiot. But, um, <laughs> you know, enjoy all of it. Yeah, if It's a tough loss. You know, let it, let it sit, let it simmer for, you know, a little bit. But, you know, it's just a baseball game. Anyway, um, boy, yeah, this team is uh, special. Everything about it, on the field and off, just so much fun. Absolutely. Um, so, again, huge thanks to Eugene Friedman for coming on the show. Uh, congratulations to the minor leaguers for having this opportunity. And, and you know, I'm sure that they'll be uh, putting very, very good thought into all this. And I'm sure we'll have updates. And uh, good luck to the New York Mets against a generational ball club in the Dodgers and uh Taryn you have uh, any predictions I do I'll let you go first
0: though uh <laughs> if we win the the DeGrom start I'll be happy
1: okay um Taiwan Walker's gonna have a good start DeGrom's gonna have a good start and I think Bassett's gonna show up but I'm not gonna say the Mets are gonna sweep they're gonna say two out of th- I'm gonna say two out of three. And I am not going to pinpoint which ones, but I think the starters will show up. I just, I'm really hoping that the offense does too.
0: Yeah. Two out of three, three,
1: baby. Let's go Mets. That'd be great. All right, everybody. Um, We'll see you, you know, see you soon. Let's say um, end of the weekend. Early first thing. uh, I mean, you know, you know what? Taryn, are you around this week? Should we, should we commit to Friday?
0: Yeah, I hope so. All Um, right.
1: We're, we're, We're back. We're back on Friday. All right. It's settled then. All right, everybody. We will see you then. You know the sign-off. It's Let's Fucking Go Mets. And uh, we'll see you next time. Peace.